0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, August 19, 2009. I'm Caleb Brown. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are long past due for reform, but what emerges out of the fix may send two beasts back to wreak havoc in the housing market with taxpayers footing the bill. Mark Calabria, Director of Financial Regulation Studies at the Cato Institute, comments.
1: Well, a bad bank, the concept would be is you're going to break any one of the entities into a good bank, bad bank. And the bad bank is where you basically take all the assets that have lost all their lot of their value. You take the damage assets, you and so you pull those out, and then you hope that what's left is a good bank that – is performing assets, that the loans are okay, Uh, and it allows you for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, if you have all of the uh, delinquent loans, all the foreclosed loans separately in a bad bank, then that bad bank can spend all of its time working on resolving those assets, modifications of the loans, foreclosures, whatever, because there's a whole different skill set in it a loan and keeping that loan current and servicing that loan and dealing with the loan when it goes into foreclosure. Uh, and also, you basically kind of, you know, you're cleaning out, you know, it's sort of like you're getting, you want to think about you're trying to get the cancer, basically, out of this institution. And so that is the thinking. You'll draw that off, and then you'll have the good bank over here that you can put back out there uh, and, you know, do what it does. So it's kind of like you leave your mistakes behind and you move forward.
0: The reason I ask about a bad bank is because it seems like that option actually produces two negative consequences. Uh, One, that Fannie and Freddie could potentially be put back out there as essentially institutions identical to what they were before uh, the housing meltdown, and two... The public ends up eating all of the risk that uh, Fannie and Freddie had taken on over all those years.
1: Both of those outcomes are very real potentialities and problems. Um, one, you know, I guess with with most things, with most things, the doubles in the details, and that's why it's important on this. The FDIC, in terms of banks, I mean. During the savings and loan crisis particularly, weak, this, the government created all sorts of bad bank, good bank. And it was actually an opportunity to resolve a lot of the problem. So you can do a good bank and a bad bank in a way that works, and you can do a good bank and a bad bank in a way that causes more problems than it solves. The caveat, the really important part, in part with Freddie and Fannie is if you do this and you separate the two, do you undermine any inertia, any momentum to reform them? Because the thinking traditionally with a, in the banking context with having a good bank and a bad bank is, well, we're just going to take the bad assets. We'll put the other bank out exactly in as close to a form as it was before. And so you're very right in that the real problem here is if the administration goes this direction, you have a very high likelihood that it just puts Freddie and Fannie back out of the market the way they were. And then the other part of it is that, and this is a really important part in terms of how it's run, is do you leave the debts... You know, in the and everything else with the bad bank, if it's just that the bad bank is the bad assets, and then the taxpayer eats whatever the losses, well, you know that's a that's a bad bad bank in my opinion. But if you want a good bad bank, what that would be is that the shareholders, I mean the shareholders, the credit holders, the bondholders, they suffer losses sufficient to offset the losses in the assets. So the real question is going to be, are we going to continue to have to see the taxpayer put? tens of billions into this? And are we going to actually see something that moves forward in a direction that fixes the flaws of these institutions? Because if not, 10, 15 years will be back in the same spot.
0: Equity holders for Fannie and Freddie have already essentially been wiped out. Shares for both of them are at less than a dollar and we're down to 30 cents at at the worst. What's going to happen to bondholders and what's the incentive to... Perhaps not let those people get wiped out.
1: There's very huge incentives not to see bondholders take any losses, and in fact, that was an explicit uh, decision of the last administration. Hank Paulson, you know, really sort of said, "When we take over Freddie and Fannie, we don't want to have any of the bondholders take any losses." There's a couple of things that come out of that. You know, one, I think it's a huge mistake in terms of these institutions never, ever had more than like 1%, 2% on a real basis uh, capital. It's worth ke- keeping in mind that when you hear things like Barrister and being leveraged 80-to-1, right before Freddie was taken over, Freddie Mac was leveraged 200-to-1. So it took almost nothing to wipe out the shareholders and the fact that they have any value at all is because we've put money in there. So. You're never really going to have any real market discipline with these institutions unless debt holders take losses. Now, one of the primary reasons that the Treasury Department has decided that debt holders cannot take losses in Freddie and Fannie's case is because the number one debt holder from Freddie and Fannie's case is the Chinese Central Bank. And if we want the Chinese to continue to keep buying our debt so that we can continue spending, um, you know, We have to wink and nod and pay off the GSE debt at the same time, or at least that's the decision-making that was made by the last administration and continues to be uh, this administration. I can certainly tell you that uh, if we had imposed losses on the Chinese holdings of the Freddie and Fannie debt, that when uh, Secretary Clinton went over there to convince them to buy U.S. Treasury debt, she would have gotten an earful. So, you know, part of the problem with this is, you know, and the last administration was very much aware of there are foreign policy considerations. Now, my druthers would be that uh, if we're going to decide that the American taxpayer eats it for over 100, maybe 200 billion dollars to bail out the Chinese, well, we need to have that conversation and not done sort of back channels. Uh, But I think it's very clear
0: that this administration doesn't want to have that conversation either, nor did the last. Mark Calabria is Director of Financial Regulation Studies at the Cato Institute. You can view some of Mark's recent TV appearances at our YouTube channel or at Cato.org.